Today, in our series on the concessions, we come to um, the concession called Barman. Actually, it's called uh, the Barman Declaration. It, is, it was written in the 1930s in Germany as a response to Hitler. It um, is worth noting, I realized last year at this time, I was preaching through 1 Peter, and it happened on this Sunday, the text I'm using today, one year ago. I went back and I read the sermon. It was surprising how little of it I remembered. And so I, I guess for you all, um, it might even be more so. Um, but uh, I, have, I have some things I'm going to borrow from it, a few things I want to do differently with that, and I have some illustrations that are a little different. But the message is pretty much the same. Um, there is a term that's been flying around called Christian nationalism. And it's been flying around in political circles and social media and all kinds of stuff. And uh, I, I hope you understand my preaching enough and my understanding of Scripture that there are no qualifiers to being Christian. In other words, there is never a Christian plus something. We are merely Christian people. There's not Christian countries. There are not Christian clubs. There are not Christian songwriters. They're not Christian anything. There are Christians who write songs. There are Christians who are in politics. There are Christians, but we are not um, a Christian nation. In fact, one of the things I'm well aware of is that you don't have an American flag in church. That's a good thing. Why? Because in this church today, there are people from other countries who are worshiping with us. Their home country is not here. And they're included here. This is a safe place for everyone. We are actually, the church is actually um, bus nationalism all over the world. And it has done that from the beginning. It's why the Romans thought it was such a threat, this Christian faith, because it didn't bow its knee to any government. And I hope I can help you with that today. If you're here and you haven't been here for a while, it's your first time here, I'm so sorry that this is your first sermon, but we'll find out when we get done with it. So um, we'll see where it goes. Our text this morning uh, comes from 1 Peter, the second chapter, verses 11 to 17. Hear God's word. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that though they malign you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution whether of the emperor as supreme or of governors as sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. That, by the way, is the extent of the Bible's understanding of government. Now, praise when things go good and critique when they don't. Um, 
For it is God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. As servants of God, live as free people. Yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Our text begins with this comment. First, remember that you are aliens and exiles. Aliens and exiles um, in 1 Peter. 1 Peter was written to people that were living in a part of the world that, where they had, they had left Jerusalem. They were exiles in a dispersion in a homeland that wasn't theirs. And they were to figure out how to live there. They, um, one of the hard hallmarks of being an alien or an exile in the first century for Christians and in the second century was that, that oftentimes the games were going on in Roman cities and um, Christians were not allowed to go. And Jewish people didn't, weren't allowed to go. It was only for citizens. And so they actually got a Sabbath rest once a week. And uh, it coincided with these games that were, uh, the Romans put on. Our citizenship is not of this world. Our citizenship is not of the kingdoms that are established here. Any allegiance placed above God and God's ways is not from God. Can't say it more clearly than that. Any allegiance placed above God or God's ways of getting things done doesn't come from God. Achieving ends by violence doesn't come from God. Doesn't matter what the ends are. The means often are the ends for Christians. A biblical understanding of what it means to be an alien or exile in a foreign land. Hmm. There's stuff in 1 Peter, you can read it. But um, I, I'd like to refer you to a story from the Old Testament. It's from the first chapter of Daniel. Uh, maybe many of you have read that. You know it far better than I do. But in that first chapter, Daniel is, is an advisor to the king. He comes and he gives, he gives him words. He interprets dreams to him later on. In fact, he's given, at one point, Daniel is given a royal robe and um, vestments and things that, uh, that signify he's one of the top three or four people in that kingdom. But in this first chapter... He's invited to feast at the emperor's table, and he says no. And he says no because the emperor's table is a seduction. It's full of all kinds of things that Daniel hasn't eaten before, and it's full of all kinds of things to make him fat and lazy. Sort of like how I eat. And, um, but Daniel, Daniel is like that. Daniel um, says no. And one of the stewards goes, Daniel, you, you've got to eat. And he says, I will, but just bring me these vegetables that we grow. And I'll eat those. 
And the steward goes, listen, Daniel, you don't understand. The emperor's going to notice that you're losing weight. And he's going to wonder why you don't participate in, my ta- in his table. And Daniel says, watch us. Watch us. At the end of 28 days, look at us and see if we go have any physical evidence of not being like we were before, healthy, well-fed, nourished. And of course, you know the end of the story. Daniel doesn't show any sign of being um, undernourished, and the king has no sense of this and, and no notice. And Daniel continues on to speak God's truth to this foreign king, emperor. What it means to be an alien in the culture is to learn to push back from the table. Let me give you an example of what that might be like that would threaten my life a little bit and threaten what I have. Pastors are given, along with military people, it's an old thing, I think it happened, not that old, it happened after World War II. Um, We were given a a tax break where we could um, pay only uh, not only could we write off our interest on our loans for our homes, like everybody, but we got a thing called housing allowance, and it allows us to write it off a second time. You all don't get that. I get it. It's not fair. I feast at the emperor's table. I'm, I take advantage of it. But if I was honest, if I really wanted to push back, if I really wanted to be able to be like Daniel and be able to be free to critique the way the king does stuff, the way the emperor works, the way the culture says this is the way it should be, then I would free myself from that perk. I think it's incumbent on us then to be gracious and generous people with what we have, but one way of pushing away from the table is not to take the bribe. (laughs) That's how Daniel saw it. To be aliens and exiles means that you can be in the world, but not of it. That you're not nourished by it, that you're not looking for it to give you what you need or to fulfill your um, beliefs or role. In life, Christians will necessarily push back from the table of the emperor and civic authority for their well being. That's what it means. God keeps not only Christians, but all of creation, all people. Remember that little part um, in Colossians? I think it's in the the first chapter of that little hymn, that little song. And um, it says that Jesus is uh, the firstborn of all creation. And it goes on to say, 
All things hold together in who? In Jesus. And it's specific. All things hold together in Christ. Therefore, there's nothing that holds my life apart from Christ as well. Well, this is all sort of background and segue to the, what I, the heart of what I want to get to. In 1933, I shared this a year ago, I'll share it again, but I'm going to do something different with it. That that um, the opposite of trusting in God as opposed to the emperor comes, comes across as religious nationalism. And in our case, we would call it Christian nationalism. In 1933, the state church in Germany adopted the following statement. God has created me a German. Germanism is a gift of God. God wants me to fight for my Germany. Military service is no, in no sense a violation of Christian conscience, but is obedience to God. The believer possesses the right of revolution against a state that furthers the powers of darkness. He also has the right in the face of a church board that does not unreservedly acknowledge the exaltation of the nation. For a German, the church is the fellowship of believers who are obligated to fight for a Christian Germany. The goal of the faith movement of German Christians is an evangelical German Reich or a national church. Let me read it to you and change a little bit. God has created me an American. Americanism is a gift of God. God wants me to fight for my USA. Military service, that taking up arms, is in no sense a violation of Christian conscience. But as obedience to God, the believer possesses the right of revolution against a state that furthers the powers of darkness. It also has the right in the face of a church board that does not unreservedly acknowledge the exaltation of the nation. For an American, the church is the fellowship of believers who are obligated to fight for a Christian America. The goal of the faith movement of Christians, American Christians, is an evangelical Christian church. Doesn't take much to change it. Now, I, I, have to, I want to tell you this. I'm not being partisan in this. I'm probably trying to be descriptive of the danger of us identifying our faith with a particular point of view about our country or any country. And this would apply to any Christian in any country. It would apply in India. It applies in Scotland. It would apply in Germany. It applies anywhere. It's not partisan. It's not something that is liberal or conservative. 
in nature. It has nothing to do with that. Liberals, conservative, moderates, all who would acknowledge the exaltation of the nation are not in alignment with God's values. I don't know if I can say it more clearly than that. And some of you will disagree, and I'd love to go toe-to-toe with you. I can do it. Be ready if you want to. And I'd love to hear how you would build a case for this. Because I think that's where we should be in a conversation. We shouldn't just end the conversation with Craig's sermon. Um, Remember, I can be wrong. It's all the part of preaching. The preacher can be wrong. Well, so can all of us in the room. We could all be wrong. I just get this really privileged spot of standing up here and having a one-sided conversation with you. You don't get to speak back. Well, you could, but that's not. Not yet. As I said earlier, Jesus is preeminent, not first among many. And that's true. At least that's the witness of the scripture. In response to that statement from the German state church, there was another representative of church people in Germany. Thank God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know, was martyred for his faith. He actually was martyred because he attempted to to assassinate, he was part of a plot to assassinate Hitler. I don't know where his faith and and his sense of taking up arms all comes together, And uh, it's been a a source of debate for a long time since that happened about whether he was right or wrong. Not here to debate any of that. Bonhoeffer, Martin Niemöller. Martin Niemöller was imprisoned in a a concentration camp camp called Sachsenhausen just outside of Berlin that I had the privilege of seeing. I saw his cell. He was the one that said, you know, if um, when they came for, for... Catholics, I didn't um, speak up because I wasn't Catholic. When they came for the trade unionists, I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. When they came for the Jews, I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. And when they came for me, there was no one left to speak up. Niemöller was part of this. Primary author of this was Karl Barth. German theologian during that period from Basel. I know, in Switzerland. But um, they responded with a statement of their own. And it's the Theological Declaration of Barman from 1934. It's a really interesting statement. Like all of the confessions we've looked at, just a little bit, they all have a huge amount of scripture backing up their, what they assert. And in the Barman Declaration, there's these several articles, six articles, and in the six articles, they all begin with Scripture. And Article 5 begins with our text this morning. Fear God and honor the emperor. It's grounded in Scripture, and for the German church, it's not grounded in ethnicity. It's grounded in Scripture. And then they write this. Scripture tells us that in the as yet unredeemed world in which the church also exists, the state 
has by divine appointment the task of providing for justice and peace. It fulfills this task by means of the threat of exercise of force. So the authority of the state really is one of being able to enforce laws. If necessary, and not by us just agreeing to stop at stop signs, then the right to be pulled over, the right to, be, um, to use more forceful actions. According to the measure of human judgment and human ability, the church acknowledges this confessing church that Bart, Bonhoeffer, and others are part of, acknowledges the benefit of this divine appointment in gratitude and reverence before him. I think it's something we're missing right now as Christian people, that regardless of who is quote-unquote in power, that we, ought, we deride whatever government is represented that doesn't agree with us. And our job as Christians is to be grateful and to pray, to have some reverence. It calls to mind the kingdom of God, they write. God's commandment and righteousness and thereby the responsibility both of rulers and of the ruled. It trusts and obeys the power of the word by which God upholds all things. Two things. The state exists only because God allows it. The state is not preeminent. It is not forever. As C.S. Lewis says at one point, um, kingdoms and things like that compared to our life as the life of a gnat. Unfortunately, it extends justice and peace by fiat, by force and by threat, which are not kingdom values. That's why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm a patriot. And one definition of patriotism is that you honestly love your country enough to believe it can be better. We reject the false doctrine, and this is something that happens in all the articles. We reject the false doctrine as though the state, over and beyond its special commission, which they just stated, should and could become the single and totalitarian order of human life, thus fulfilling the church's vocation as well. On the progressive side of things, to think that... that, that um, that government's going to solve the social ills and make it right. It's putting a little bit too much trust there. On the conservative side, thinking that if we can just exert our positions um, and, and be more forceful with them and we can get them enacted, we'd be Christian and, as a nation, quote-unquote, again, which I don't agree with. But if we could, then things would be Okay. This Barman Declaration is saying, listen, folks, the state cannot fulfill the church's calling. That's our vocation. Nor should we look to it to do that. We call the state to account to fulfill what is just and right in accordance with the Scripture. 
for all God's children. And again, politics are not eternal. They're like the lifespan of a gnat to the forever that we will be. They reject another point. We reject the false doctrine as though the church, over and beyond its special commission, should and could appropriate the characteristics, the tasks, and dignity of the state, thus itself becoming an organ of the state. Daniel, pushing back from the table. We reject the false doctrine as though the church, over and beyond its special commission, should and could appropriate the characteristics, the tasks, and the dignity of the state. We are not citizens of worldly states. We serve only one ruler. We are citizens of heaven. Pushing away from the emperor's table, first, our text says you're supposed to, to abstain from the desires of the flesh. Um, we usually translate that as sex, um, but that's actually not how Peter sees it. Um, the desires of the flesh are not necessarily merely that small of a concern in Scripture. Um, uh, there are some bigger concerns in Scripture, idolatry being the biggest. I guess we can make sex an idol. But basically, uh, what Peter is thinking to a large degree is abstain from the lust for power and control, the bloodlust demonstrated in the games in the Colosseums. And those who promise peace by means of their bloodlust. How else do we push away from the table? Be more committed to one another and to God than to politics. You have an election coming up. It's going to get more and more divided. The witness of this church has always been that we have people in different parties and in different positions. But somehow, we found a way to keep doing God's work together, hand in hand, arm to arm, together. Sharing financially in the burden, sharing in the work, the blood, the sweat, the tears, and we figured it out. We've been pushed apart. It's time to be pushed together by the Holy Spirit. Be a witness. Do not allow the world to squeeze you into its own mold. Do not allow the world to squeeze your mind, your thinking, into something that doesn't come from God. But let your mind be expanded by the love of God in Jesus Christ. Be more committed to one another and to God than to politics. Together stand and work for those who cannot stand for themselves. This is the justice part. It's what comes out of the Beatitudes. The first few Beatitudes, um, Dale Bruner says, 
are the uh, God bless those who cannot get God on their own. God bless those who in our culture simply cannot access the things of God. All those people that Jesus mentions at the beginning of the Beatitudes were all people that were denied access to God's uh, entry points in their culture. They couldn't go to temple. They couldn't be involved with others. There were a whole lot of things that they were excluded from. Stand and work for those who cannot stand for themselves, who cannot get God for themselves, who cannot get the simple things that sustain life for themselves. Stand together and work for what is true and what is honorable and what is just. Think on those things. comes out of Philippians, right? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is good, whatever is lovely, we're implored to think about these things. And that will push out other things from being the focus of our attention. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, call our culture to civility, call our culture to be people of justice and righteousness and goodness so all might participate this day and all days. Thy kingdom come, you said it really loudly, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray with me. God, I have a lot of isms in my life. Christian isms. Things that I want your stamp of approval on and things that I want you to bless in my life because I don't want to change.